Hello. Welcome to the Science of Parenting podcast, where we connect you with research-based information that fits your family. We'll talk about the realities of being a parent and how research can help guide our parenting decisions. I'm Lori Hayangs, parent of three in three life stages, launched in college and in high school. And I'm a parenting educator. And I'm Mackenzie Johnson, parent of two little ones with their own quirks. And I'm a parenting educator. So today we're talking about understanding and anticipating meltdowns or tantrums or falling apart or whatever else you might call it. Oh gosh. Yeah. I probably say falling apart. Like, oh, and I don't not, I include me. We're falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> all of us collectively. All the alls. <laughs> all the alls. <sighs> big feelings. There's so many big feelings in parents and kids. I yeah, definitely. So you know, when you think about it, gosh, there are so many times that meltdowns can happen. Oh, gosh, yeah. Like, round the clock. Everything's at risk. <laughs> oh, yeah. 24-7, right? Yeah. 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 So, like, when I think about meltdowns, do you do you ever think about, like, a, like you know that a meltdown is always going to happen at a certain place or time? Do you have any of those thoughts? Mm. I, like, bedtime in our house right now. Like it's coming. Bedtime's coming. It's going to be yeah. hard. It's a surprise every time that we have to go to bed. Like yeah. <laughs> bedtime in our house. What about you? When can and you I anticipate remember, that? I remember anticipating that when we would go out for oh, dinner yeah. or um, mostly, you know, mostly that kind of thing where we were going to go out and then sit down mm. or go out and then have to sit and be quiet you know, oh, yeah. a meeting or um, an event or that kind of thing, that's kind of where the meltdown, yeah, would occur. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The times when we're just like, it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> right? We know. Weren't those the times before you had kids where you were thinking, oh, I know what I would do in that situation? Right? Like, oh, yeah. It's only. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so our research tidbits today are about understanding meltdowns and tantrums and how we as parents can survive them. Yes. Yes. Getting through life, they will be a reality, but how can we like understand them and know when they're coming? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. the first tidbit we have is from McCurdy and they tell us that temper tantrums are defined kind of as these overt displays of, get this, unpleasant behaviors <laughs> unpleasant <laughs> unpleasant that are extreme and severe in nature and disproportionate to the situation that made me chuckle when i read that <laughs> i was like and i love the disproportionate to the situation you've maybe right? seen like those posts on like social media of like the reason my toddler like is crying today or is angry today or like right. you know you see those posts and it's like yeah. yeah, this was disproportionate. That's a yeah. great word for it. <laughs> it the red bowl and not the blue bowl, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. So then here is some examples um, from Daniels, Mandaleco, and Luthi. They give us some examples of behavior that are associated with meltdowns. So pay attention because I want to know if you've seen okay. or heard right. or maybe experienced any of these. So, And these are across different ages. So okay. here's some toddler behaviors. Or maybe preschool too. Toddlers and preschoolers. <laughs> let's look at these. Shouting, screaming, crying, falling to the floor, flailing arms and legs, hitting, kicking, throwing, engaging in breath holding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Just the ones yeah. that your children have had, not the ones that you've had, right? Yes. And yes. then we also have <laughs> adolescent, you know, behaviors as well. Uh, we might have becoming withdrawn, uh, becoming violent, verbal outbursts, uh, just becoming irrational, um, loud, hyperventilating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's a list. That is a list. There's the list. Uh, Any of those feel closest to home for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I didn't really have any shouters. Like I don't, I don't Mm. have it. And and I'm not really a shouter. So yeah, more of the crying um, and just that complete loss of any rational thoughts or behaviors, you know, just oh, yeah. uh, in some of that dropping, you know, dropping to the floor, mm. just that, that pure meltdown mode. And, and, and I chuckle <laughs> sometimes and, you know, you might hear me as the adult say, well, I think I just need to go, uh, go rock in the corner of my closet <laughs> you know, like, I just need to go over there. Cause I'm having completely irrational. Um, <laughs> as well. Yeah. yeah. See, and I can't really say that my kids like necessarily shout all the time, but there's moments like that's usually how I know like, Ooh, this is big. This is hard. Like if they're shouting, that is like, oof. Yeah. This is hard for you. Yeah, <laughs> um, so that one's a big one. Otherwise I'd say common, like tears are what's most common. Yeah. Tears are the yeah. common. And, and because no- it is like the big, they're the big feelings. Like it's this display of these really strong emotions. Like, yeah. and it's so like, I love the word raw for yeah. like little kids. Like it yeah. is, it's so raw. Like, Oh, I am devastated or like, Oh, I'm mad. Like I'm furious. Like, I am it is raw. I have these huge feelings. When I taught preschool, I had a couple of hitters. You know, oh, the yeah. hitters and the pinchers. Oh, the pinchers. Oh, were- ooh, ooh, pinchy. Like, <laughs> ouch. Um, you know, and still you could just, I, I specifically remember a time where one of the little ones in my preschool class just had such big feelings and literally the eyes, they were looking at me like in a panic and, and oh, they knew God. they were about Wide-eyed. to lash out and pinch and hit. Um, and, and, uh, he was actually kind of a spitter as well. Oh. And they, like his eyes were already telling me, I am so sorry for what I'm about to do, but oh, yeah. I cannot control this, you know, there yes. um, so oh. yeah, lots of behaviors. Oh uh, yeah. Well, and it is like even, yeah, pinching, it doesn't necessarily naturally seem like it comes to this specific feeling, but it is, it's like, I don't know what to do. Mm, like yeah, yeah. pinching you, <laughs> right? Pay attention to me and you do, which brings us right into the research tidbit number two that talks about the reasons that kids have meltdowns and, you know, how cool that they're actually research about why kids have meltdowns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's, you know, I think that that's what we always want to do for you as you're listening and watching us is help you know that, you know, our goal is to sift through the research. Yes. And you know, we want you to look at the research that we've sifted through and pick out the ones that really work for your, your children and your family. So, all right, let me read this. Kyle tells us that children may have tantrums or meltdowns to get what they want, Mm -hmm. avoid or escape doing something they don't want to do. Okay. Those are like vice versa. Yep. (laughs) Seeking parental attention. So I'm going to stop there because I love, I love, love, love watching infants and I love watching infants out in public. And I think, yeah. that, you know, 
I even remember as my children were growing up and I would point out a baby and I would say, look at that baby trying to get its parents' attention. And I'd say, look yes. at the eyebrows, look at the, look at the, look at her little fingers moving. <laughs> you know, she really wants her mom's attention and, you know, look at the toes. Oh my gosh. Toes and eyebrows and fingers. That's so <laughs> have so much communication with them. And so, yeah. So in this research article, it's telling us that, Hey, they're trying to get parental attention. And so right mm -hmm. before the meltdown came the wiggling of the toes and the eyebrows. And so anyway, okay. Oh, so yeah. I digress. McCurdy <laughs> tells us that also meltdowns can occur when children are tired, hungry, ill, or frustrated. And then we have another one, uh, but Brayton tells us meltdowns can be from sensory overload. Okay. Hello. Like guilty yeah. me. And I'm an adult. I talked about that. Was that last episode that like, I get so overstimulated, like it's loud. And I totally can relate to that at like little kids, big kids, grownups. <laughs> when there's a lot going on, it can be hard to, you know, hear yourself think or try to process you know this big feeling i have like totally get the sensory overload right and i think that's the that's the piece where when you ask me which you know what's the most typical place that we would have meltdowns it was it was going out in public because of that sensory overload oh yeah For that child there was so much going on and that's when i could always occur i always knew that a meltdown would occur when we were mm -hmm. i had that sensory overload had to do so one more, uh, Schoenbeck, she um, might summarize it best in saying that meltdowns typically happen when kids are lacking the coping skills to deal with their emotions. Yeah, that sums it up. Can't cope. Yep. Like <laughs> the hungry, angry, lonely, tired, frustrated, ill. Like, yeah. it's hard to do, like, hanger, right? We get hangry. <laughs> like, yeah. And part of that is because I'm having a hard time co using my coping skills with my hunger. <laughs> right? I'm <laughs> so hungry. hungry. You just asked me to put my shoes on right now, but I'm so hungry. Nobody. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. I'm hungry. And I can't think about the fact that I could just put them on like, no, not shoes. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is putting me over the edge because I'm already struggling this much. Over yeah top of my head with hunger yeah you know i can't get my heel in there easily right? this is too hard oh my gosh yes so yeah. you know meltdowns are common they it, we're going to talk about temperament later on but yeah. meltdowns are common and, and it's common across different ages and i think that that's really important for us to remember as oh gosh not yet, Lori, not yet. But when we look at brain development, yeah. uh, we I'm can sure. really talk about why they why they keep happening throughout the ages. And it's not just isolated to toddlers and preschool. No. no, we know that it's like developmentally appropriate, right? For like a two to four year old, they're figuring out like, whoa, I have some choices here. There are things that I can control. And so that like striving for independence makes it kind of like prime time to see these tantrums, right? Like, right. you know, we can kind of expect it in that age range. That's why they warn us about terrible twos and three-nager and those kinds of things. Uh, so we know it's developmentally appropriate there, but not isolated there. Like, that's not the only spot we're going to see it. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that sometimes I, sometimes when I talk to parents of preteens and those early teen years that you said it right there, the three-nager, right? Yeah. Because guess what? It's going to happen again 
in those preteen years. And, mm-hmm. and there's great scientific evidence behind why that happens. And, you know, the brain is going through so much still last time we talked about the brain not being completely developed till the age of 25. And so there's this huge growth spurt, obviously, in the brain, you know, early on those zero to three years. But then again, as you hit that pre-adolescence, the hormones yeah. and the you know, all the other things that are happening in the body are, are impacting the brain. And so that kid that you just thought you had figured out <laughs> up one day as, you know, a 12 and a half year old. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, where did that come from? They're kid in my house and they took mine and where did they go? And uh, yeah, because they just, that those hormones in the brain take over. And mm-hmm. sometimes I describe it as, Oh, sometimes in the Midwest, we get this crazy wild ice, this black ice, and you can't even see it. And so Mm. the black ice covers the roads. And so nothing can drive correctly on those roads, right? Nothing can drive correctly on black ice. Totally. The information, the cars just fly off, right? And so in the brain, that's kind of what the hormones do it about that preteen years. You know, those hormones cover those those roads. That information had been going down so smoothly. And now, man, it's sliding off to the left (laughs) and the right. And we have no control because of that, that those hormones that are covering the connections in the brain, those thinking processes are are gone. Oh yeah. yeah, They've built those roads over time, right? They're getting good. Like, okay, maybe getting their shoes on is not a meltdown every day at 14 or, you know, fingers crossed. Right. right. But so they've built some of those coping skills, but now they need new ones. Right. Right. They need to be able to do new things and navigate these new hormonal changes in their brain. Yeah. Like I need new skills. I was just getting, like you said, just (laughs) get off the old. They were good at the old ones. Did they need new ones? And and reminding them of those old skills that they used to use. You know, like they had to pull them out of the box for a while. Wait, we got to pull those skills back out. Yeah, dust off those skills, right? Uh, But there is, there's a lot happening. And, but kind of part of the beauty of, you know, this research and reality thing is that there is, you talk about that scientific evidence tells us, there are times when we can anticipate, right? So like I talk about bedtime, you were talking about when you go out to eat, but when we recognize some of those things over time, we can start to anticipate it. Right? Yeah. 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 And, and remembering there is, there's always a reason like there is, there actually really always is a reason. There is not much in life that we actually do without reason, right? Why did we turn yeah. left? Why did we turn right? Why did we pick up that glass? Why did we choose the spoon over the fork? Mm-hmm. And yet when a child is having a meltdown, we go, well, it was for no reason. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so true. So wait, wait, oh, actually it was. <laughs> we just missed yeah. it. Yeah. Right? And so um, that's, those are some of my favorite things to talk about with parents is I know it seems like there was a reason or no, re- there was no reason, but we yeah. just actually we just missed it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, how could we anticipate it? There is some really neat research uh, that we looked up on uh, how to prevent and anticipate meltdowns. So you know, let's let's dive into those ideas. How about it? Totally, totally. Let's do it. All right. So the first one. Okay. So wait. Let's do that. Let's play a game. So okay. first, I want you to think of uh, the most 
the, the time most often that a meltdown is going to occur. Like you think about, okay, yeah, we, I pretty much know that this meltdown is always going to occur. You said bedtime. I said yep. for one of my daughters, it was going out in public. Right. So I'm thinking about that in my head. And according to this list from Daniels, Mandaleco and Luthi, the first bullet point that we look at is to identify the triggers of meltdowns. Bedtime. (laughs) But I'll say for me and the one, you know, if I like walk through with that, that is I can anticipate I can feel it coming, you know, that, that in itself is a trigger, like, right. She's tired at the end of the day. We've had a full day, whatever I get to do once I'm finally home. Um, you know, my daughter like goes to childcare. So I'm home for the day. I'm settled in. I got to eat. And now I have to go to bed and be done with this day. Right. (laughs) Like, so it is the tired, the combination of like the tired. And I wish I had more time here. That's the trigger at bedtime. Yeah. What about you? And for me, that, that trigger, that, that going out, going out of the place that was the most secure. So she would go out in public, whether it was to shop, to go to an event, like I said, to, to go to daycare, you know, just that idea that, okay, we're going out of our safe, secure place. We go out of that safe, secure place every day. Yeah. But, um, but it's new. Yeah. Right. And even now as you know, even now as a young adult going out of that safe, secure place, she has to adjust and, and it, she doesn't melt down anymore, but I definitely can see, you know, different behaviors and trigger points in her. So yeah, still using those skills. Totally. Absolutely. Using those skills. All right. The next thing then too, so we've identified the trigger, having a plan for those common meltdown times. Having a plan, maybe like snacks or a place to rest or a place for quiet time. All right. I, I can say in our house, um, actually, I got this tidbit from you. <laughs> so I told you I was struggling one day. We were on a call and my daughter was home with us, uh, home with me. And uh, she was having a like nap time. Like like I said, we were all falling apart. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you're like, Mackenzie, you know this, like visual schedule. Um, so a visual schedule is basically, uh, for everybody who maybe hasn't heard of it or hasn't used one, a visual schedule is a concept for, you know, a child and honestly, and an adult, uh, where you kind of lay out the expectations of the routine. Um, so a visual schedule is kind of, they can anticipate, but you're, instead of just using words, you're using like pictures. Um, and so we had to, that was a tool we started using. I knew I needed to have a plan for bedtime. And so I started using kind of this little visual schedule of like a picture of putting our pajamas on and, you know, those kinds of things. So that was, I had to have a plan. And then for us, it was using that visual schedule tool. Oh, that's awesome. And so then the next bullet point that he talks about is maintaining a usual routine. Oh, yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Uh, And then providing warning for changes that was huge for us. Like we needed to let her know that there was going to be a change. Now, granted, obviously sometimes things come up spontaneously and you can't. And then that's where we jump back into what we talked about last week was that idea of respect. Like, I understand that you're upset. We, we didn't have a chance to warn you. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, we've anticipated, we've planned, we've tried to maintain a usual routine and a usual routine for leaving the house might be like, literally I needed to tell her, here's where we're going. Here's mm. what we're going to do. Here's who you might see there. Here's what we might do there. Okay. Yeah. And so 
yes, that wasn't the same words I used every time, but it was that same process. Yes. Here's what we're going to see. Here's who we're going to see. Here's what we're going to do. And here's, you know, when we're coming back. Granted, she didn't always have a concept of time, but, you know, even just talking through in that calm, cool, collected voice assured her that, okay, mom's got a plan. I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And we're coming back. Yes. We're coming back to my safe space. Yeah. 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 Our routine, that little visual schedule that we did, um, did help kind of set us in a routine. We had kind of a loose structure of what that usually looked like at like bedtime and nap time, but it kind of solidified like, okay, we're going to brush our teeth. We're going to get on jammies. We're going to read books. We're going to have some snuggle time. Right. Um, but like it secured that routine. Um, yes. and then it was actually kind of a part of that routine became, okay, we have about 10 minutes till bedtime. Uh, okay. We have about five minutes. It's really not a time. This isn't a time we want to get out a new toy. Um, you know, and so those warnings became a part of that routine too. Right. Exactly. You, what you did right there is ties right into the next one, which is teaching feeling words and teaching words about the vocabulary, sharing words, like what you did with the pictures and the 10 minutes and the five minutes and, Mm -hmm. you know, now is not the appropriate time to get out a new toy, et cetera. Yeah. And the, I think even helping my child recognize like, oh, I can tell you're mad. Like you're so mad that we don't have more time for, or, or, and sometimes I get it wrong, right? Like the other day I asked my daughter, she was, you know, upset about something. I'm like, oh, you're disappointed. She goes, no, mom, I'm frustrated. (laughs) Um, But I was like, okay, I missed it there. But like, I'm excited that you, you know, you picked up that like, I can tell you like, I'm mad at you for that. Or, um, you know, when, when bedtime inevitably does come and it's a meltdown, (laughs) um, like, Oh, you are. I'm mad that you made me put that away. Like, oh, yes. But those feeling words, that emotion, helping our kids. I mean, sometimes it feels a little corny, but how do kids learn that? Like, they have to be taught. It doesn't come and learn distressed. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And then that idea, the next one that they offer up is encouraging appropriate alternatives to tantrums. So Mm -hmm. I know that you're nervous about going into this building. So here's how you can show me that you're nervous instead. So instead of right now you're crying and whining and hanging onto my waist, let's do this instead. So what can we do instead? So instead we can get our books that we have in our bag. So instead we, and I, you know, for her, I even offered her the opportunity to just close her eyes. You know what, what I want you to do is instead of, you know, hanging onto my waist and screaming, I want you to just close your eyes and hold my hand, close your eyes and hold my hand. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, offering her an appropriate alternative. And for older kids, you can kind of talk through these things ahead of time and say, you know, I know that last time we went here, you were frustrated. So what could you do instead in case you get frustrated again? You know, talk to your elementary school age child about, you know, yeah, you you didn't enjoy it because it seemed like it took a long time, didn't it? You know, that meeting or that that program that we were at, it seemed like it took a long time. And so instead of kicking the chair in front of you and bothering the other participants that were there, what could you do instead? Yes. Yes. Right. That instead, I think that word is like the key there is like, okay, instead of right falling to the ground screaming or yeah, for older kids, instead of not speaking to anybody or, you know, instead of those things, like 
what can our plan be? Because yeah, they can have a plan. Like come up they with your own plan when you're old, an older kid. Exactly. And that offers them this next thing that says offering them choices and finding a way to say yes. So offering them choices. Okay. So which way I get a choice on how I can behave. I have two alternative plans. My, my mom and dad, or my mom and my aunt and whom my grandma, my uncle, whoever the adult I'm with is okay with me doing option A or B. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And sometimes as the adult, we forget that just two choices is easy enough. I'm totally okay with you closing your eyes and holding my hand, or I'm totally okay with you, you know, sitting down and digging into your backpack. Which mm-hmm. one do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Because what you're doing is not appropriate. So you choose which one. Yes. Yeah. Our big one right now is, do you want to walk up the steps? Well, two-story house. <laughs> do you want yes. to walk up the steps to bed or do you want us to carry you? Sure. Uh, like, do you want to walk? Or sometimes sometimes it's like, if the walking we know is not happening, do you want us to carry you silly? Which is my husband uh, like throwing her over his shoulder a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want us to carry you silly or carry you regular? Like, yeah. Because we have to go to bed, right? Right. I'm, we're not budging on that it's bed, but we can budge on how we get there. Like, there's right. a choice. And you yeah. can say yes. To, like, I can say yes to either of those things. I totally can say yes to either of those things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then modeling appropriately how to deal with the feelings. Those, yes. those big feelings, right? Those disproportionate feelings. Yeah. <laughs> unpleasant. No, unpleasant right. behavior. Not un- yeah. like unpleasant behavior. Yes. And so, and really modeling, you said it the other, the other week, we're, we're the adults. So we actually are in charge of modeling Mm -hmm. what we want to see in our children. Mm -hmm. And that's hard when we have big feelings too. It is. You know, when Um, we have feelings too, that's hard. Yeah. I'll say, I said before in another episode that I'm a breather, like (laughs) that I'm like a, um, and, but th- that is, it's something I kind of started doing in order to show my kid, like to my daughter and my son that like, you know, sometimes I need a breath. Like, this is hard for me too. I'm frustrated when you yell at me about bedtime. Like I'm frustrated when you're having this tantrum at bedtime, even though I gave you the warnings I like, you know what? I need to take a breath or I need a break. Right. Um, and saying that like, it's okay to not get it, like to not have it perfectly. Like, I need a breath. Yeah. I'm I'm really mad right now. And even taking it, taking it a step further to say, wow, I should have really taken a breath there. Right. Yeah. How about you and I take a breath together? Mm -hmm. You know? So I think we always acknowledging that, that, you know, sometimes we don't do the right thing. Sometimes we don't make the right choices as adults and, and acknowledging like, wow, I just realized I yelled and screamed. And And we have an episode coming up this season about that. Yeah. Yeah. About what do we do when we lose it? When is it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so then there's the last thing that they talked about in the research was providing positive attention and lots of positive attention when children are doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, it, it's that idea of in the, in the heat of the moment, they are not going to be able to hear us and hear any logic or, you know, any yep. thinking correctly thoughts that we have. And so 
when there's a quiet time or when there's a time where, you know, man, things are really going great. She walked up the stairs to bedtime, you know, that is a celebrate. And we need to celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. We don't do enough celebrating. Oh yeah. In in these times of, I I know that especially with my daughter, as she's gotten older, I, and I remember vividly just a couple of weeks ago where we were sitting and what we were doing. And I said to her, you know, I really appreciate that when we met that person, you, um, said thank you and you looked her in the eyes and because that's something that we really work on with her is you know verbally speaking in a way that someone can hear you (laughs) and acknowledging that someone you know said hi thank you so I said you know thank you for saying hi and and looking her in the eyes Mm -hmm. and so yeah acknowledging and celebrating those moments celebrating when we get it right that like can reinforce that hopefully in the future we'll have less less tantrums or less meltdowns um you know we're celebrating like you did like i'm so proud of you or i'm so excited you got your jammies on right away all right no celebrate things for the future so all right so if that's the end of our list yeah uh, i have a little bit of you know kind of your your reality okay Uh, yeah we kind of wrap up before we see mackenzie young um so for our listeners this week so you've heard the research uh on tantrums and what, what defines a tantrum and kind of, you know, the examples of what you might see in a tantrum. We have some plans so that you can anticipate ideas to anticipate them. Uh, so I just encourage you to do that this week, like reflect. So yeah, bedtime. And I still need to keep working on that one. (laughs) Uh, but reflecting on when the meltdowns are happening in your home with your kids, kind of working on identifying that trigger and then coming up with your own plan. Like, so what's your plan going to be? Maybe it's one of these from our list that we've gone through here um, from the research. And so figuring out what your plan is going to be to anticipate meltdowns. And inevitably when we can't anticipate everything, right? You can't prevent everything. Yeah. uh, Meltdowns come back next week. Yeah. Right. Next week we're going to talk about how sur- how to survive in the heat of a meltdown. Like hopping <laughs> into the heat and coming out alive. <laughs> do it. We can do it. Um, but yeah. So for this week, think about when those meltdowns might be happening. Work on what might be triggering them and what your plan might be to anticipate it. So that's their that's the reality for this week. So excellent reality. Excellent. All right. I'm embracing myself. Yeah. I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready. Here she comes. I feel pretty ready. <laughs> I, I think you're going to be ready for this one. So okay. as we were preparing for this episode, I know that there were a lot of things that you wanted to include. Um, and there were some things that were left out that as we were going along, I kind of was thinking, oh, man. So I'm actually going to use this opportunity to hand it back over to you. Um, Mackenzie, I know you have a list of So if a parent is thinking, okay, so you're talking about meltdowns. Does that mean all meltdowns are normal? You know, my child is 10 years old and continually having a meltdown. Does that just mean I have to deal with it and it's normal? Um, So will you share some of that information on how to tell if it's a normal meltdown or if it may be an abnormal meltdown? Yes, please. We did. We had such a tough time. Yeah, we had a tough time when, like, putting together the episode content of, like, there was so much good stuff to include. And so this was one of the things was how do we know when, right, we talked about it's kind of developmentally appropriate or typical for, like, a two- to four-year-old to have be having meltdowns and things. But how do we know when maybe it's over the top and it might be time 
to mm-hmm. like scope out some help. And so I do, I have that stuff. Um, keep on my research here. So, so there were five things that I thought this was such a good list. So this was from an article, a 2012 article. I think we cited the authors above of, it was like three names, uh, Daniels, Mendeleco and Luthi. Oh yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a really great article. So ways to identify, so kind of some red flags for a tantrum. I have my list here. Um, If tantrums are regularly occurring after age four. So if it's a regular occurrence in your house and you have a child over the age of four that they're melting down frequently, right? I mean, it's going to happen from time to time, um, but frequently that could be a sign. Um, When children are injuring themselves or others during a tantrum, right? Like we're getting into like a health and safety concern there. uh, That would be one. When tantrums are la- regularly lasting longer than 15 minutes. Now, I will admit, I have like, I remember one specifically that happened in my kitchen um, that like went on forever, right? So that can happen occasionally, but in general, if they're regularly lasting over those 15 minutes. When there's more than five tantrums a day, I thought that was such, I was so grateful to see somewhere that like, here's a number, you know, like when I'm wondering, is this as often as I think it is? This feels like it's constant if it's more than five times a day. Uh, and then the last one was when a child's negative mood continues between tantrums. So, you know, we thought like things might be going well and then all of a sudden we're melting down. Um, but if it's pretty frequent that your child is experiencing kind of that negative mood around the clock instead of just occasionally during a meltdown. Um, so, yeah, those are five things that could kind of indicate that, you know what, these meltdowns maybe aren't just a part of kind of normal life with uh, with a typical child, that maybe it's time to ask for some help. Sure. Oh, right. Exactly. And right there you landed on it. It's good to ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. That's, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have to do this alone. That's why there are people out there. You have uh, special education services. You have your family doctors. You have school districts, you have local home visiting services, you know, nurses, home visiting nurses, et cetera. And so I always tell parents, I always tell them, you know what, listen to your gut. Like you're, you're a good parent and you want what's best for your child. And if you're asking these questions and you're asking me these questions, keep asking and it's okay to be asking. It's scary. I mean, I do. I absolutely 100% remember asking those questions about is, you know, is this a, my my child isn't doing this? Why isn't she doing this? And, you know, I was the early childhood educator. And so when you're looking at behavior and meltdowns, I get it. It's scary to say, I don't know what's going on. And this is my kid. And why don't I know what's going on? Oh, absolutely. Ask, 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 ask. And there, you know, sometimes people are afraid of like, oh, well, if my child's behind or if my child, uh, but ultimately getting help shows how much you care and are invested in your child. Like that is a great thing to do for your child and for you, you know, for yourself too. But it's a sign that you are active in your child's life and that you're involved with them and that you care about how things move forward. So no shame in asking for help. That's a great thing. And that's why we believe, you know, at Science of Parenting that there's more than one way to raise great kids. Every kid's unique. And so we give you the information, you decide how to use it and how it makes sense for you and your kids for sure. Yeah. That was a that was a great question, Ken. I'm so glad I'm so Thank glad you asked that because I was like, I want to tell everyone I this know. really good information. I know. And sometimes uh, as we're planning these, we wanna we wanna keep it, you know, within a certain amount of time or within a certain amount of points, but sometimes you just have to add that extra tidbit. So I wanted to give yeah. you the space to do that. 
Yeah. Well, and it's kind of like, you know, when we think, you know, this is our stop, breathe, talk section, that's kind of what we did, right? And as a parent, sometimes the stopping, right. like, whoa, I'm soaking in, figuring out what's going on with my child. Mm-hmm. And that breath might be over a period of several days before right. we talk. And that talk might be asked for help. Right. The breathing right. might be going to find more information and mm-hmm. the talk might be asking for help. Yeah. So, absolutely. All right. Thanks. Super. All right. Thanks, Ken. Thank you. So yeah, this week we talked about understanding why our kiddos are having meltdown and understanding and then anticipating those children's meltdowns, right? Yeah. So that that really diving back into there's a reason. There mm-hmm. is a reason. And I have to play detective and come up with it. And maybe I need others to help me play detective yeah. and come up with a reason. Yeah. So thanks for joining us today on the Parenting Podcast. Remember to subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on Apple or Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And then watch our recorded videos each week and especially once a month. Once a month. month. Join us live as we take your comments and questions. Yeah. So as always, come along with us as we tackle the ins and outs and the ups and downs and the research and reality around the science of parenting. Thanks. Thank you. The Science of Parenting is a research-based education program hosted by Lori Hayens and Mackenzie Johnson, produced by Mackenzie DeYoung with research and writing by Barbara Dunn Swanson. Send in questions and comments to parenting at I-A-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. And connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. This program is brought to you by Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. This institution is an equal opportunity provider. For the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries, go to www.extension.iastate.edu slash diversity slash ext.